Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. And today we're going to start a new topic on hematology, isn't it? Yeah, I'm super excited. It's a tough topic, we're not going to lie. It's it's taken us ages to get our head around it, but it is awesome. It's really interesting. And we'll try our very best together to try to explain some of these difficult concepts. I think the hardest thing about hematology is that you have to, with all these diseases that happen, such as like beta thalassemia, uh, uh, so iron deficiency anemia mm. these kind of things you kind of have to know what exactly is causing it behind it before yeah. you go and memorize it yeah. and learn about it. so I think we're going to dedicate our first few episodes into understanding the physiology behind uh, these uh, these things and so we're going to start off with hematopoiesis and what exactly is that I guess just before we talk about okay, it yeah, I think sure. another tricky thing about hematology I've what found so far yeah. is the fact that there's so much terminology and um, really esoteric language that's used right oh, so before, yeah that's right a big word Take that, guys. Um, <laughs> I've been reading the dictionary. Yeah. So before we even talk about hematopoiesis, let's actually yep. talk about some of the terminology, right? Let's do that. You know, what is hematopoiesis? Let's define it first. Do you want to tell, tell yep. everyone what that is? Okay. So from my understanding, hematopoiesis is the process which blood cells are formed in the body from this thing called a stem cell. And which begs the question, Hamid, at this time I'll ask you the question, uh, what is a stem cell? Touche, my friend. Um, <laughs> so a stem cell, uh, you know, you can have different types of stem cell. Okay. An example that we've come across in our lectures and in our reading has been the hematopoietic stem cells. Okay, good. And essentially what it means is that it's a cell capable of self uh, regeneration yep. and also has this enormous proliferation potential as well. So it can just expand really rapidly. Yeah. Um, there's some specific aspects about the stem cell, the hematopoietic stem cell that we need to know about. Okay, yeah. It can lead to multiple cell lines, okay, yeah. which we'll expand on, obviously. Mm -hmm. In its purest form, which is a stem cell, it doesn't have any sort of cell surface markers, any CD sort of surface markers that make mm -hmm. it belong to a particular cell type. That's why oh, it's okay. a stem cell, yep. right? It's got CD34 and a CD38 negative, and its appearance is almost like a small size lymphocyte, yep. right? but it doesn't have any of the lymphocytic markers. And during the cell division, when a stem cell divides, yep. what it does is it divides mitotically and it divides so that it regenerates itself okay. and the second cell that's produced through mitosis then goes down the various pathways okay. to development sure but there's another term andy that we always talk about so a stem cell leads to a particular cell yeah. what's that called that leads to a cell called the progenitor cell and actually, sorry, before we go into that, I just wanted to mention this other term that's important. It's called pluripotency, right? Yeah. So yeah. essentially what that is, is just with a, with the stem cell, it has the potential to become any cell of that particular lineage. I think it can't, you can So can it. you just explain that? So yeah. if, if we've got a stem cell, right? Yeah. And it's a hematopoietic stem cell, it belongs to the blood family. Yeah. That can become any cell in that so blood family, right? So a T cell, B cell, lymphocytes. Oh, so those are lymphocytes. You can, they can become white cells. They can become yeah. platelets, red blood cells, anything like that. Yeah. But it can't become like a Muscle, right? It's 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 maybe a, not. I, don't, I think it's just defined to the blood type. Yeah, you can get so, stem cells for other types as well. Unless you're talking about embryonic stem cell, which can go into ooh. any tissue, I think. Yeah, but we're just talking about hematopoietic stem cell. I, I like to think as us as med students right now, we are kind of like a, a stem cell, and we can have unlimited potential into becoming yeah. anything. Oh, well, well, yeah, or, or we like. can pretend, or uh, we might be some ignorant sort of precursor cell, which we don't really know, <laughs> or a cancer. But okay, <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, all right, I so digress. so let's get back on track. Yeah. So yeah. 
yeah. So stem cells lead to progenitor cells, and yeah. um, and so progenitor cells have a reduced potentiality. So now they've kind of starting to make up their minds. So they're saying, hey, maybe surgery is not my thing. Maybe physician training is the way to go. Oh. I might commit down that path. What a but, deep red blood cell. That we're yeah, doing. exactly. Yeah. Okay, but sorry, go on. Yeah. you know, keep in mind, you know, yes. if you want to become a physician, right? Yeah. There's heaps of options where you can become a cardiologist. You can become a, pedi- a pediatrician. There's lots of options. You just might not become a surgeon. Okay. So, so that's, that's what a progenitor says. It's got a little bit more of a defined, but it can still divide into lots of different things. Um, but just not everything. Just not everything. So it's not, okay. um, you know... Uh, I, I think that's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's still, you know, when the progenitor cells are very difficult to differentiate from stem cells. Okay. Um, and I, actually, I'm not sure how they do it. Maybe but it's with some markers on the surface. Must I, I be. Think, I, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I'm mm. not 100% sure either. But I, mm. I guess with appropriate growth factors, mm. they can become a different type of cell. So they can start Ooh. getting into registrar chaining and start specializing. <laughs> can you tell me what cell that is? Yeah. So once it's become something that's, let's say it's a red blood cell and it's gone down its red blood cell lineage, once it almost becomes the full erythrocyte, it becomes this thing called a precursor cell. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And is there any going back? So once you're committed to become a cardiologist, that's it. Yeah. There's no going back. So once again, we go through stem cells to progenitor cells to precursor cells. Yeah. And we'll keep on trying to hammer that into you exactly. guys throughout All this right. episode. And I guess with precursor cells, they've started to develop some distinct morphology that distinguishes them from the precursor oh, so cells. So that's when they can be identified on the histology slide or something exactly before we talk about all that before it gets a little bit more complex let's talk about a a bit about the bone marrow Uh, i'm sure we're going to cover this more in a histology topic in in the um later uh, in a later episode yeah but let's talk about the bone marrow andy so where does all of this happen so all of this magic happens with the proliferation and the um the self-renewal kind of thing happens in the long bones so the in specifically it's the red marrow located at the epiphysis of the long bones yeah it's i don't yeah. think it's just the long bones i think oh, it can be the that? flat it can be irregular and short bones oh, it's just okay. you just need to make, it's just in the red marrow red of the marrow. epiphysis Got part it. of part of the the long bone yeah so what what is it about about this that makes it you know makes it possible there must be stuff in there that i encourage i think it. it's just the it has like lots of other cells which we'll go into in a second yeah. that that provides a great environment for it to maintain yeah. uh, it maintains a healthy environment for or the ideal environment for these hematopoietic cells to divide and, and, and yep. grow, right? Not exactly. So what in particular well, let's, did you let's, have in mind? Yeah, yeah let, let's mm. talk about that. So um, yeah. let's talk about, I guess, the thing that does most of the heavy lifting is the stromal cells. So they're like okay. the structural support networks for in the red marrow that enable development of the various um, yeah. you know, transformation of stem cells into progenitor and precursor cells. Okay, yeah. And they're the major source of growth factors. We've got to talk about what growth factors oh. are. They're the major source of growth factors with the exception of one, and that's erythropoietin, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, so st- Erythropoietin is also a growth factor, but it is. it's not from the bone. Stromal cells. So it's not made yeah. from the environment of the um, mm. the bone. It's made yeah. from somewhere else and it comes into the bone. Yeah. But and just broadly speaking, what is a growth factor? What is a so, hematopoietic? In order for the cells to know what they're going to be differentiated mm. into, they need these signals called growth factors to guide them on their correct path, yeah. isn't it? And so the, pr- the source of these growth factors are from stromal cells. The growth factors, they have a more specific name called a hemo hemopoietic growth factor. Uh, Which means that it just works on the blood pathways. Exactly. Yeah, and they're glycoproteins as well. So they're um, proteins that have some carbohydrates and stuff attached to it, okay. um, which is important for receptor interactions. Yeah. I think that's all we should talk about in that regard. That's enough detail okay. for now. Yeah. 
But so once a growth factor binds to a receptor, yep. what happens? There's this um, major family called a JAK-STAT kind of interaction, yeah. isn't it? Is and it just JAK-STAT or are there other ones as well? There are the two others, but they have such long names. So we'll just talk more about the JAK-STAT. Yeah, but yeah. let's let's talk about it. JAK-STAT is a it's it belongs to a superfamily of um, of proteins. Yep. And when a growth factor, just let's just take a generic approach. So when a generic growth factor binds to a you know a JAK-STAT receptor, yeah. What happens is that the receptor, you know, the receptors come together and dimerize. Okay, yeah. Those aggregation of receptor uh, leads to the activation of JAK, which is a um, which is an intra intracellular component of of that the receptor. Yep. An activation of JAK leads to um, phosphorylation yep. of another member of uh, another important protein that we talk about. It's called signal transducer and activator of transcription. A mouthful, but it's a it's short for STAT. Mm -hmm. And that then causes coming together of the stat protein, so dimerization yep. of that. Yep. The stat protein leaves and goes into the nucleus and just regulates transcription. Okay. So in case people are having a hard time following, do you want to just say yeah. it again and maybe Let, reinforce that. it? Why not? So a cytokine or a growth factor would attach to the receptor, activates JAK. JAK activates stat. Two stats bind together and they bud off and then they go to the nucleus pretty much that's it's as simple as that there's lots of diagrams circulating mm. on the internet so i'm sure you guys can have so a look it, and maybe we yeah. can include one in our notes mm. why not okay so i guess that's the, so essentially why we talked about it is just that that's one generic way of how growth factors affect um uh, how growth factors drive the whole process on mm. isn't it yeah we've covered all these topics should we start delving into the actual yeah let's talk about um yeah let's talk about hematopoiesis yeah. so we mentioned that it occurs um uh in an adult in the bone marrow yeah but it even occurs in a developing fetus obviously because you know the fetus is growing and developing various obviously. components yeah so it's Tell us about where it starts in the fetus or when you start mm. noticing hematopoietic stem cells. So from what the scientists have found is that it begins in this region called the AGM. Mm -hmm. It stands for aorta, gonads, and mesonephros. That's yep. found in the dorsal aorta of a fetus. Mm -hmm. And later on in life, as the fetus grows from two to seven months, uh, so they start generating these hem hematopoiesis from the liver and spleen from five to nine months from into the bone marrow. But essentially... Once the child is born as an infant, it all occurs in the marrow. Yeah, after about six or seven months, the bone marrow pretty much takes over the, the function of hematopoiesis, which yep. is important to bear in mind. Okay. And as we mentioned, in an adult, it's it's all the bone marrow, right? In, yep. in the various bones that are found in the body. Yeah. Um, so in like as we mentioned, in, in an adult, it will be the vertebra, it will be the ribs, it will be the sternum, the skull, yep. um, the pelvis, the sacrum. So all those key bones that that um, you know we learn in anatomy, they're important for. But I think it's just, it, it's important to differentiate that it's not exactly every single bone in the no, body, isn't it? There are some the, the, the big bones are the guys yep. that participate. Mm. So in infants it's practically all bones but in adults it's selective bones yeah yeah that's okay. right so that's where it occurs and so in the undercover of hematopoiesis there's a lot of different things you'll mm. see there's yep. generation of white blood cells generation of lymphocytes generation of platelets but i think we'll focus today on the generation yeah. of red blood cells yeah i think the focus of this episode should be because that's a big topic in itself <laughs> yeah so let's talk about just erythropoiesis so the synthesis of red blood cells eh? exactly yeah. erythropoiesis is yeah like you mentioned it's you know red blood cell formation from the basic stem cells that we talked about okay yeah there's a couple of well try your very best uh, to follow us it's a pretty complicated process and, and i'm sure we'll have a diagram up to help you with that we will, we will try yeah but in terms of erythropoiesis so as we mentioned it all starts with a stem cell everything so that, starts with a stem cell exactly okay. so that's your hematopoietic stem cell okay 
Then what it happens? goes into um, uh, the formation of a, a type of cell that's called the CFU GEMM, and that stands for it's a progenitor. So it's a progenitor. It's, it's committing to the p- physician training pathway, right? Yep. It's, so it's start going down that more specialized pathway. Yep. Um, so it's called a progenitor cell colony, forming unit, gra- granulocyte erythroid, monocyte, and megakary, so water mouthful. But you can kind of guess that from it, it, that cell has potential to become granulocytes, erythrocytes, monocytes, yeah. etc. right? It, it has yeah. lots of options available to it. Mm. So it's not a cardiologist yet. No. What happens then is that from that point onward, from a um, CFU-GEMM, it yep. becomes a burst-forming unit or a BFU yep. or a burst-forming unit erythroid. Yep. And then it becomes an erythroid CFU, so erythroid colony forming unit. What <laughs> Such a mouthful! Funny names. But essentially, yeah. to to put it in a nutshell, it's a CFU GEMM. Yeah. Then it becomes a BFU. Then it becomes a CFUE, <laughs> yeah. and then it forms the pronormoblast or the pro erythroblasts. Yeah. So the blasts are the first recognizable precursor. So these guys are in cardiology training now. They're going to okay. start specializing. So from the normal blast, sorry, the pro-normal blast or the pro-erythroblast, these guys are the precursors now. So Yeah, so now you've committed. Now, now there's no going back. You're, okay. you're going to be heading down that pathway. Okay. Um, all right, so do you want to just go through what happens with the pro-normal blast now that you've reached that stage from you know yep. those progenitors? Yeah, so with a pro-normal blast, what, eventually, what it does is that it goes down this pathway to eventually lead us to erythrocytes. What we're going to see is that the cell nucleus is going to shrink. Um, it's going to increase in... Uh, what, what is it? What causes the actual pink staining of the actual... Um, yes, all right. So yeah. like, like we mentioned, if yeah. the nucleus starts shrinking, that's yeah. a basophilic structure, which means okay. that it attracts B for blue, basophilic yeah. blue. Oh, that's so good. it becomes yeah. less and less blue. Yeah. But also, as, as the cells progress down that pathway, yeah. um, they produce more and more hemoglobin for their eventual function, which mm-hmm. is you know a red blood cell. Oh, and okay. hemoglo- hemoglobin starts having this pinkish stain. So the hemoglobin stains it pink. Exactly. Okay. And I guess what happens is that over yeah. that period as well, yeah. um, the nucleus is shrinking because you know a red blood cell is not going to have a nucleus in the, in the future. Yeah. So the cells are getting smaller and smaller and smaller as well, which okay. is re- a point to keep in mind. Yeah. And so eventually at one stage, right, so I think the, the red blood cell or the erythrocyte will, um, it's not the erythrocyte yet, but we're talking about the, pre, yeah. the precursor. So the normal blast. The normal yeah. blast, it will shred, uh, it will shed its, um, shed its nucleus yeah. and then it will become what we call a reticulocyte. Exactly. And reticulocytes then become the erythrocytes. Yeah, but, but they don't become yeah. straight away, do they? There's a bit of a time lag. Can no. you tell me about the time lag? Actually, I think it was that, so the reticulocyte would, would start to leave outside, leave the bone marrow and enter the blood circulation. And after one or two days in the blood circulation, they mature yeah. into red blood cells. Yeah, right? exactly. So they actually, you form reticulocytes, right? From yeah. uh, the late stage normal blast. Okay. They're in the bone marrow for about one or two days and they can still have some RNA activity and still produce some hemoglobin. Yeah. Then they go into the blood for another one or two days. Then they become the um, erythrocytes. And that's why if someone's been bleeding, yeah. here's a clinical correlate. If they've had hemorrhage, then you start seeing reticulocytes because the bone marrow is producing lots of red blood cells. Yeah. And so that suggests that there have been some acute blood loss because why is there so much reticulocytes? Okay. They're trying to replace the red so blood cells. They're pumping out a lot of things and in, in the process, they're just chucking out even the immature ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking about regulation and stuff like that, uh, is there a particular hormone that we need to know about? Exactly. In this so there is this um, hormone that 
called erythropoietin, and which we mentioned earlier, which this is a very key hormone that regulates the entire erythropoiesis. Is it found in the bone marrow or did we say it's not? So with erythropoietin, it's generated mainly in the kidneys and uh, 10% in the liver elsewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, elsewhere. So the majority is in the kidney. What actually stimulates the erythropoietin? Um, well, there's uh, the main stimulant is is oxygen. It's it's the high level of hypoxia um, experienced in the body, right? So okay. if, if there's not enough hemoglobin, then oxygen delivery to the system is compromised. Okay, if yeah. the if the patient has um, severe respiratory disease, yeah. or for some reason the circulation isn't functioning properly, there's going to be a hypoxic state. Okay, that's detected by. Um, the peritubular interstitial cells of the kidneys. Ooh, yep. So peritubular, near yep. the tubules, yep. um, but not in the tubules. Okay. So they detect it and they start producing. So there's no stores of erythropoietin. So it's actually manufactured by these cells and then it's released into the into the blood. Yeah. And what EPO does, we'll just call it EPO for short. EPO, EPO, yeah. E, yeah, EPO does is that it stimulates erythropoiesis by increasing the number of those progenitor cells that we talked about. Okay, yeah. So the wannabe physician or surgical trainees and then it also increases um, the, the number of those progenitors that start committing to the erythropoiesis pathway but actually is there any stores of EPO in the body I don't think so not not from what I've read um, yeah. but if you guys think otherwise do let us know using the feedback mm. comment on our website or posting it posting a comment we'd yeah. love to hear to my knowledge there isn't yeah but EPO is just the tip of the iceberg I think okay because, you know, if you start manufacturing lots of red blood cells, you're going to need lots of iron, right? Because iron is the component of hemoglobin. By the way, we're going to have a bit of an episode about hemoglobin as well. So don't stress if you don't know about too much about hemoglobin. We're not, we're not going to forget. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Definitely. Another hormone called... Um, Erythropherin. Um, do you want to tell everyone what erythropherin is? I think does? it was something that was newly discovered and I haven't, wasn't really entirely sure about it. But to summarize it in just a few words, is that erythropherin also is involved in increasing the amount of erythroblasts. And so what it does is that the erythropherin inhibits hepcidin so it suppresses the hepcidin. Which if you guys are not sure what hepcidin is as well, maybe have a listen to the uh, hemochromatosis podcast as well. Yeah. So what essentially helps it, it inhibits hepcidin, which it makes iron absorption a lot easier in the body. Yeah. And so if you increase the iron absorption, that means that the red blood cells can produce more hemoglobin. Yeah. Or, you know, more iron can be available for hemoglobin That's production. True. Let's say now we produce a red blood cell. Yeah. What is a red blood cell, Andy? So we know what regulates it's the carrier of oxygen in the body. Yeah. Exactly, because of hemoglobin. Okay. So it's it's a it's a very tiny. So it's eight micrometers in diameter. Yeah. But the problem is, this eight micrometer cell needs to travel through vasculature that has a you know the smallest is around three and a half micrometers diameter for the in the microvasculature. Tiny, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, tiny. So it has to fit through these tiny cracks. A lot yeah, almost than. half its size. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. And in addition to that, it needs to maintain hemoglobin in a reduced state because okay. if hemoglobin is oxidized, the iron in there is not able to um, attract oxygen, so it doesn't function. Okay. In addition to that, there's lots of proteins in red blood cells, so they need to maintain. So it, you know, the red blood cell needs to maintain its structure. Mm-hmm. And to make things more complicated, there's no nucleus, right? So there's no the cell machinery is not there to constantly produce these things. And also there's no possibility of um, uh, glycolysis in the sense that, you know, uh, the Krebs cycle and the citric acid cycle. So it relies on um, uh, lactic acid for ATP production. So it's a pretty complicated structure, uh, complicated concept. Yeah. But the question is, how does it maintain all of that? It relates to actual physical structure and and I guess that's a good segue into the physical mm. structure of it. Yes. What does it look like? So with the red blood cells, the characteristic is a flexible biconcave disc 
And I think one of the reasons why it has to be flexible, as you mentioned, it fits through these small holes is once it loses that flexibility, that's usually how the body decides that this, this red yeah. blood cell has long lived past its life and it, it gets destroyed in the spleen. Yeah. yeah. So it needs to be flexible and it's a biconcave disc. But the question now is what gives it its mm. uh, biconcave appearance? Yeah. And I guess you guys might be wondering, hey, why are we going so much into the structure, uh, structure of red blood cells? I, there is a clinical relationship, right? There are conditions. What's, that what was it called? Like spherocytosis. Spherocytosis is yeah. an example of, yeah. you know, a, an abnormality in the structural components which lead to these spherical cells, which we'll talk about in a yeah, later we'll episode. But, uh, what we'll but there is a reason why we talk about this. It's not just for for the love of it although it's, it sometimes is but in this case it's not we just like to listen to our voices that's right we'll put you no, to that sleep actually that's not that's not the reason um no. all right so let's talk about this the cell membrane and the, and the structural components andy okay yeah the cell com so the cell membrane components is actually quite fascinating i think so the 50 percent of the membrane is actually made up of protein whereas um 20 is phospholipids and then a 20 further 20 percent is made up of cholesterol and then the final 10 percent is made up of some carbohydrates but the most important thing I think about it is the actual membrane skeleton, right? So you've got spectrin, you've got anchorin, you've got protein 4.1 and actin, and all of these guys actually do play a certain role in later on when we talk about cell membrane disorders. Um, the spectrin splits further into alpha and beta spectrins, and all of them form this sort of lattice on the inside of the red blood they cell They help membrane. form a lattice. Not all of them are directly oh, involved okay. with the lattice. Structure. Oh, that's true. Because but you can have a look at lots of... There's lots of diagrams on the internet. Yeah, because some of them actually are anchored into the, into the cell membrane, membrane yeah. isn't it? The, the one that we really need, need to be familiar with that is the spectrum. Because spectrum. That's spherocytosis, the yeah, yeah. Is, is a consequence of spectrum abnormal. But that's all you need to know for now, I think, is okay. the fact that these structural components are important yep. to know because yep. there are pathological... Um, consequences if there is problems with any of those structures particularly spectrum is the one that is mentioned uh, in yep. various textbooks mm. so wow that was a that was pretty crazy <laughs> intro into him and i uh, hope you guys had um i should have asked you guys to to buckle in and get ready for the ride but yeah exactly sorry Ho hopefully no one got hurt by <laughs> hopefully you're wearing your seat belts that's it isn't it there's nothing else we want to talk about today well no not not for erythropoiesis and i guess we'll just move on to the next topics later yeah all right so guys we're going to dedicate a fair bit of time on the physiology and then then we're going to get deep into the whole diseases which are pretty crazy yeah um so stay tuned if you as always if you have any feedback or comments please let us know um, using our website yeah. and we'll catch up with you um in the near future see you next time bye Thank you for listening to our Common Rounds podcast. You can find all of our episodes, notes, selective experiences, and much more content on our website. So come visit us at thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. And see you next time.